Good morning. So Susan ordered us a big canister of collagen, um, mostly because of joint pain, um, because I hear that some people in their 40s, some people have joint pain. Um, According to Dr. Axe, um, which if you like that kind of stuff, it's also really good for gut health. And because I continue to put things into my gut that are not good for my health, um, I need to put something in it from time to time that, that are good for my health. And I also understand, listen, if I get like a tighter face and less wrinkles in the process, then I'll add this. So I started yesterday with my evening cup of coffee. Um, don't, don't dwell there. Um, yes, there is an evening cup of coffee. Um, usually after the kids go to bed, I heat one up from earlier in the day and I just sit there and sip it and I put the scoop of collagen inside. It didn't change the flavor, the consistency at all. So apparently this is something that I can do. Most of the decisions that we make regarding health are, are, are hopefully proactive. You might call them preemptive or even preventative, preventive some things that we do before there's a problem in order to maybe hopefully not have the problem at all or at least postpone the problem until later on in life. We've known a lot, Susan and I, about preventive health care um, for the last seven years because our doctors at Vanderbilt for our little boy, Simon, who many of you know has cystic fibrosis, I talk about it as often as I can. Um, we've learned that all the things that we do for him, even up to two hours a day of respiratory therapy, are not in response to the fact that he's sick because you guys, many of you know Simon, and realize that He's never been sick by the grace of God. And we're thankful for that. All the things that we do for him on a daily basis, every medication, every therapy, every intervention, those are all preventive things. Those are all for the future. Hopefully to to stay to where there will never be an infection that becomes beyond our control or at least prevent it for as long as possible so that he can stay as healthy as possible. Most of the really good decisions that we make in life aren't the reactive ones that we have to make in the moment. They're the preparatory ones that we lean into to make a difference for the future that we have not yet seen. Enter the book of Acts today in chapter 11, and I invite you to turn there with me. And as you do, think about the problems that you have in life. Some of those problems in life are wait and see what happens and figure out what you're supposed to do when it comes about COVID-19. But some of those problems in life are the things that we should have seen coming. And they are the things that we should have done something about long before they ever manifested in the way that they do. Racism in America. Should have seen these things coming should have been taking active, proactive, preemptive steps all along so that we wouldn't have gotten to this point ever. Acts chapter 11, today we'll be starting with verse 19. And if you've been tracking along with us during the series, you realize that we just skipped over an entire chapter and a half of scripture because our focus this summer has been the life of Saul, who we know affectionately as the apostle Paul. And so we skip over this fantastic chapter in the life of Peter, but don't skip over it in your daily Bible reading. Go back to this chapter and realize and read and understand that it has a lot to say to us in our 21st century world about who we are today. But today we we begin 
in Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, there's a couple things about Antioch that you need to know. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. So basically we've got Chicago, because you know, we're New York, Los Angeles, and then Chicago. Nashville's number 23, in case you were wondering of the largest cities by population in America, Chicago number three. That's where Antioch finds itself in the list. And it was a center. It was a hub of both Roman and Greek architecture and art and culture and leadership. It was a very influential city. And so they made it all the way to Antioch and began spreading the gospel. But this only among Jews, because what you had in this scattered group of people was Jewish Christians, many of whom only spoke the native Jewish languages, but some who spoke Greek and some who spoke the languages of the people in that area. And so what happened was this. Some of them, however, verse 20, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they spoke they spoke the Greek language. They went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. A great number of people believed, a great number of Gentile people, a great number of non-Jewish people, a great number of people who had previously been excluded and ex the people who had been previously excluded from the good news of Jesus were now receiving that good news of Jesus and becoming a part of it. And in this time period, a church was launched in Antioch. And what we would come to know is that this church in Antioch became the first and largest mission-sending church in the first century. So it says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, these Jewish Christians, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he, what? and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. They were making disciples. And it says here that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The, the side commentary of my, my NIV study Bible here from Passion says this, given the marked diversity in religious backgrounds, social status, economic power, age, and ethnicity among the early Christians, it's a miracle that the young church ever gained its footing. What was it that unified and identified believers despite all their differences? In short, Christians were known by what they said and what they did. The descriptions of the early Christians in the book of Acts are distinct and profound, painting Christians as compassionate, prophetic, selfless, committed, and loving followers of Christ. Can you use that to describe us? Compassionate, prophetic, selfless, committed, loving. It says true Christians have always been committed to more than a set of ideas and beliefs. They are active, active, giving people who reach out to others in service, joyfully telling them about their relationship with Jesus. In short, they are ones who are like Christ. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, most likely as a term, a, a derogatory term that wasn't meant to be nice. They were called 
little Christs or people who live like Christ. Of course, they took that as a banner because more than anything else, we are called and equipped and purposed in this life to be recognized as ones who are like Christ. It says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And we have extra biblical research that tells us in this moment that this actually happened around 44 to 45 AD. There was actually a famine under the reign of Claudius and Scholars mention that and they tell us that this famine actually did happen. Extra biblical literature points specifically to that. You can look at Jewish historians, Josephus and Roman historians, uh, uh, I'm gonna pronounce the name wrong, Suetonius and Tacitus. They all confirm that there was a famine under the reign of Claudius and other extra biblical literature reveals to us that it was thought that this guy Agabus was actually in the book of Luke as one of the 70 disciples that Jesus commissioned and sent out to preach. Is it possible that the guy that we read about right here was somebody who knew and experienced Jesus firsthand? Some scholars say that he was with the apostles in the upper room at the day of Pentecost, probably speaking some crazy language because you remember the fiery tongue that came over the people's heads and made them speak in native tongues. Well, this guy, Agabus, he stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would come over the entire world. Well, they believed him because then it says in verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided a preemptive, not reactive, purposed, to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. They didn't wait till those believers were crying out for help because they didn't have enough food. They didn't wait to react to the problem once it got sick and really divisive and really difficult. They acted in advance in order to help believers once the famine actually occurred. These guys that they bore the marks of Jesus and they were disciples of Christ. As a result of the persecution that started with the stoning of Stephen, and you'll remember that Saul was there giving his tacit approval for this guy to be killed as a result of the stoning of Stephen, a killing of one of their own, a persecution broke out and it scattered believers throughout the Roman world at the time. And that word scattered that you read in Acts chapter 11 is literally the word diaspiro. And it means to scatter abroad or disperse. And if you, if you listen really closely in diaspora, you'll hear the word diaspora. Diaspora is the noun that's given to a group of people who are displaced from their home country and forced to go and live in another place, a land that they don't have heritage and they don't have value. And we've constantly throughout history referred to the Jews as the diaspora spread out all over the world, not able to live in their home country, not able to live under their home culture, not able to govern themselves and not able to lead. And it wasn't until even this past century that they were once again, finally recognized as a nation and a state. And so you look at the Jews throughout all of history that have been dispersed all over the world. And we read that moment. And what we gather from it is this incredible truth that we need to take at heart today. And we need to take to be a part of our lives that when God scatters people, when God scatters people and sends them out, he's sowing seeds of the gospel. You know what the root of the word diaspiro is? It's the verb spiro. And do you know what spiro means? It means to sow. 
So that when you go to the book of Matthew and Jesus is telling a bunch of stories about agriculture so that people would really understand what he's talking about in their day and age, he starts telling them stories about farmers that go sow seeds and farmers that go and plant crops. He told them a parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed, who spirrowed good seed in his field. You know, when God allowed that to happen, the stoning death of Stephen and the scattering of his people all over the region, it was for a purpose. That the scattering of God's people is always the sowing of his seeds of gospel truth. We need gospel truths to be sown here too. And those believers were scattered abroad. It was God sowing seeds of the gospel and not just sowing seeds of the gospel to people who spoke the Jewish languages and people who had Jewish blood, but Greek-speaking Jews, men of Cyprus and Cyrene on the northern coast of Africa, when they came to Antioch, they began to preach to the Gentiles there who spoke Greek. And the gospel truths of Jesus Christ penetrated the hearts of people there and a church was born. We need the gospel truths of Jesus Christ to penetrate the hearts of the people here. And we kind of have to stop relying on somebody else to do it. That's one of the most dramatic truths in this passage is that those other Greek-speaking Jews, we don't get to know their names. I'm all the time judging a leader by the number of followers that they have on Twitter or judging the number of likes that they have on their Insta story. I am constantly looking at pastors and judging their effectiveness based on the amount of people that are in their congregations or the amount of books or discipleship resources that they have published. And I'm guilty of assuming that John Piper has more or better things to say about this book than John Doe in whatever church he's in across this country. But this passage reminds us of something different. You know, you and I trend towards crediting the apostles that we know. We wanna give Peter and James and John and of course, Paul, all the credit for the church that broke out in this region. But we forget that it is nameless believers speaking out about the only name that matters that multiplied and grew this church. And while I do know and believe that God calls some people to be beyond what their church has called them to be apostles for our generation, I know for sure that the works of Matt Chandler, once we get to heaven are no better than the works of Tiffany Hudson. And I know for sure that the words spoken about the truth of Jesus Christ by Beth Moore are no better than the words spoken about Jesus Christ by Gigi Kanzunza. These nameless believers speaking about the only name that mattered, it grew the church. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people turned to the Lord. That's verse 21. And I, I sit there and I, I wanna read it differently. The Lord's hand was with Chris and Tracy Hardy. The Lord's hand was with Caroline Chamberlain. The Lord's hand was with Alec Rodriguez. The Lord's hand was with Jessica Huckabee. The Lord's hand was with Missy Norris and Matt Burhart and Carrie Bidwell and Lisa Hand. And the Lord's hand was with the people of the Church of Rolling Hills community in the city of Nashville and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. 
this church in Antioch became one of the fastest growing and the biggest mission sending churches in history. And we don't even know the names of the people who started it. I confess, I think too much, too often, too highly about names. The fastest growing and the largest mission sending church in the known world at the time. And we don't even get to know the names of the people who started it. That's incredible. It's incredible, and what it means to us, to us today is that wherever you are is a place that God put you, no matter how scattered you feel, is a place that God put you and has called you to be for his purpose of making and multiplying disciples right where you're at. And if you don't walk away with anything else that's said today, I hope you'll walk away with the understanding that you are called and equipped to make disciples where you are. Are. And it doesn't matter how many followers you have or how many likes you have or how much influence you have or how many people you know. The effectiveness of the gospel seeds that you sow in the community that you live will make a difference. They will make a difference. The best part is this. What we find in this passage of Scripture is it ultimately wasn't about the apostles, whether they had a name or not. It wasn't about their reputation. It wasn't about their multitudes. It was really about the center of the story. And it wasn't even those unnamed believers. When Barnabas arrived on the scene, what does it say in Acts chapter 11, verse 23? It says, when he arrived and saw what all those people had done. No, it says when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. He didn't even see what the unnamed believers had done to go and spread the gospel in those various languages, he saw what the grace of God had done. When I concentrate too much on the people out there in the world who are writing great books and posting great blogs and like, like I don't know, publishing awesome songs and literally writing the theology of our generation and I look at them as the leaders that they are and I compare and contrast, you know, comparison always leads to depression and I kind of measure up to where I am as a leader or to where you may be as a leader and I recognize that ultimately it's not those leaders that are making the difference and it's not us that's making the difference. It's ultimately the grace of God making the difference. Who got the credit in this story? according to Barnabas? God alone. He was the only one who mattered in this story. So who's the key character in your story? What is the grace of our good Lord accomplishing through you? What kind of work is he doing in you? So Barnabas goes And what he's mesmerized by, what he's captivated by, what he's challenged and changed by is that God is working because he's the key character in this story. As much as we want to look this summer at Saul turned into the apostle Paul, he's not the key character of this story. As much as I navigate to the story about Peter and the works of Peter, he's not the key character in this story. As much as I love going back to the Old Testament narrative and reading about heroes of faith, one of my favorite is Gideon, or maybe you go to the book of Daniel, or maybe you're reading about King David. As much as I love reading about all of those forefathers of our faith, they are not the center of this story. It's always the work that God is doing. When he scatters believers, it's because he's sowing seeds. And whenever somebody speaks that good name and somebody is drawn to the gospel, redemptive truths of Jesus who came to seek and save the lost and forgive and redeem the sinner, what we recognize is that it's the power of God through the Holy Spirit in the world doing the work and he needs the credit. Gravitate to this passage of scripture and you also kind of learn that 
if anything is worth doing at all, it's worth doing as a team. My first ministry boss said that. If anything is worth doing, it's worth doing as a team. That most of the time meant that he just didn't wanna do it alone. He wanted me to help him. And that was great ministry training ground. If it's worth doing at all, it's worth doing as a team. That's why God calls us to be the church. That's why he doesn't just send us out as isolated believers to do the work on our own. That's why he calls us to be a family of God. If anything is worth doing at all, it's worth doing as a team. And it's also worth doing over time. That was Barnabas' first response. He decided, okay, like, wait, there's something great happening here. I'm excited about the work that God's doing. Let me go get Saul and bring him along. And together as a team, we're gonna stay here not for two days, but for an entire year to teach and make disciples in this community so that they know how to live and to follow and to lead like Jesus. JMI, Justice and Mercy International, some of the people that work for JMI are our mission sending agency, our, our partner for the gospel into um, really unreached, uncharted waters around the world to, to take hope and love and the message of the gospel all, literally all over. Like I learned a couple of years ago uh, of this book, Eugene Peterson wrote this book and it was this whole idea of long obedience in the same direction. And he gets it from a Nietzsche quote and that the quote is this, the essential thing, in heaven and earth is apparently, to repeat it once more, that there should be long obedience in the same direction and thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. If you're gonna do it, do it together. And if you're gonna do it, do it for a long time. Stay the course, stay in the direction Agabus predicted that famine and the church believed him. And as a preemptive strike, collagen in the world, as a, as a preventative measure to stay the problem or to equip us before it actually happened, they didn't wait. They actually started a collection in that moment. Discipleship, this is where I'm blown away by this passage of scripture. Discipleship, growing in Christ, the investment that Saul and Barnabas were making in the people in Antioch, the people that were first called Christians, the investment that we're making in them told them that discipleship always births mission. The result of growing in Christ is always serving Christ. Obedience without service to those in need probably isn't obedience. And so the way for those early believers to grow was to find a way to give. That's why we're constantly inviting people to serve. That's why we're constantly inviting people on mission. That's why we're constantly pointing you to the work of JMI in the world so that you can see and know and experience that your calling as a believer in Jesus Christ is not just to sit around and know good things. The believers weren't just known for their beliefs. They were known for their action. And for the measures that they would take, the reason why we've celebrated so much the idea of long obedience in the same direction for JMI is because we've been in Moldova for 17 years. Because we've been in Brazil for, gosh, more than a decade. Somehow trusting and seeing that long obedience in the same direction is going to make a lasting difference. I think about this passage of scripture in regard to what's happening right now all over the world with COVID-19, but particularly in the country of Brazil, which is still the fastest growing, highest rate of both outbreaks and deaths. And how our person on the ground, long obedience in the same direction, the national director, Sarah Rodriguez, was handpicked and told that she was going to distribute not only the food bags for JMI, but the government food bags to people 
all along the river in need because of this season and because of the difficulty that they face. God was getting us ready long before this current tragedy to be a people with a preemptive strike who can make a difference in the lives of those in need because of long obedience in the same direction. Because discipleship, growing in Christ, making converts to Jesus in those jungles and discipling pastors to go and reach their communities has now birthed a mission of literally saving not just spiritual lives, but physical lives. Because people are hurting and they're hungry and they're facing unbelievable difficulty because of the spread of a virus. Long obedience in the same direction has made an incredible difference. If you have ever decided to stick around and attend the 1030 service, or maybe you came to that one another week, what you'll notice is an entire row of young men from a program called 413 Strong. It's long obedience in the same direction. Because a fellow named Steve Norris in his retirement, whether it was because he was bored and didn't have anything to do or his wife said, look, you need a hobby, um, went out and began volunteering for a YMCA organization that was helping train men for the workforce who had previously been in trouble, whether that was incarceration or just in some sort of legal issues. And when that program was cut because of funding, he said, no, we need the program. So we started 413 as a result, and it's long obedience in the same direction. It's not a two-week mission trip in these guys' life. It's not a one-time program of intervention in these guys' lives. It's taking them for 40 days of every single day, all day and all night, training and equipping for the workforce and training and equipping for financial resources and training and equipping so that they can know what it means to be outstanding men of God and good citizens to provide for their family and communities. And then beyond the 40 days, it takes them into months and months of work where they're actually taken to their job every day and picked up from their job every day and they still live on site as a residential part of a program where they are being trained and equipped to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and to serve the community and to work hard and to be a man. And this long obedience in the same direction is continuing to produce results in these guys' lives. Tony Evans is a pastor that I've followed literally all my life. He's another one of those names that if he says it, it just must be good. The first daily devotional that I ever did as a teenager at 13 years old was called Time to Get Serious by Dr. Tony Evans. And I remember some of the words that I learned that year of 365 days worth of devotions. He says this, that if we are going to bear his name, Jesus's name, if we're gonna bear his name in the world, then we must likewise bear his attitudes and his actions his character, and his conduct. His long obedience in the same direction, feeding and clothing and leading and sowing seeds of the gospel, making disciples from right where we are to all over the world, no matter how scattered you feel today, Jesus has put you in this place and in this state of mind for a reason, and it's to sow seeds of the gospel. And you don't do that by believing good things. You do that by putting the things that you believe into action in the world so that someone else can see and notice, man, you sure are a Christian. You, you sure are a lot like Jesus. So for us, it does, as a church, become time. 
I know we're only three weeks into this, but it does become time that we register for more than a seat. It's time you sign up for a task. It, it becomes more than just about showing up. It becomes about showing out in this community so that people can see Christ. So we ask ourselves today, which kind of investment are you going to make? What kind of long obedience are you going to point in the same direction? What are you going to sign up to do for Justice and Mercy International? What are you going to learn and be a part of with 413 Strong? How are you going to dive into the work of Shower Up? How are you going to volunteer in the life of this local body? Not so people will know your name, so that people will know his Would you pray with me this morning? God, we are grateful for this day. I'm grateful for the chance to open your word and, and somehow by not seeing anybody else's name, we kind of come to see our own. That we're supposed to be those scattered believers. That, that we're supposed to be those early Christians that we're supposed to be those points of reference, giving people an opportunity to see and know that you are good and that you are real and that if we follow you, we can make an incredible difference in the world. Jesus, we wanna be that mission-sending church. We want to be that missionary equipping church. We want to be that food bag delivery church. We want to be that child sponsorship church. We want to be that local missions organization church with partners in the community making a difference in the lives of people who need physical food, spiritual food, all the food. We know that wherever you've put us, God, we're there for a reason. It's to become more like Jesus and then to live a life that points people to him. So God, would you speak to us today, both individually and corporately? Tell us not only more about who you are, but you have, who you have called, who you desire to equip, and who your gospel demands that we be. And God, our collective commitment, our collective commitment is that whatever you tell us to do, we'll do. And we'll see great things happen. We want to be ready in advance, God. So put us in and use us greatly. You'll be the one that gets the credit. People will look and see what the grace of God has done through even people like us. Amen.